fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 36, I believe. Uh, seems like a lot of our news discussion that we're going to have today kind of came in the earlier half of the week, but still some very interesting things to talk about, as well as our main discussion for today, our all-time favorite directors that Josh and I have. I'm sure his list is going to look a lot different than mine, with yep. one or two overlapping names already looking at his list. But um, first, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm all right, man. Um, it, was a, it was a long weekend. Um, I traveled a lot for wrestling, and uh, on the way to from one venue to another on Saturday night, the I legitimately destroyed a tire. And oh. Yeah, yeah, like destroy. I don't know what I hit, but I hit something, and like there's enough traffic in the in the road that I a couldn't see it coming, and b there was even if I had, there was no way I could have gone. Given where so, you live, I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it was an armadillo. I mean, I feel like I I would have just crushed it instead of it legitimately destroying my tire. But um, yeah, no. So like, I didn't get back to the hotel until like nine or 10 the net the following morning. And the show started at one. Ooh. So yeah, it was, and then I still had to drive home that night. So it was, it's been a long weekend, man. Sounds like it. Yeah. Well, this news, uh, our first news topic of the day, it broke late last week, but we didn't get around to talking about it. Um, Lots of stuff has come out of this. Uh, Vanity Fair posted its first articles and first official photos from Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Now, some of these pictures seem pretty standard. Others are very interesting. Two in particular. Uh, there's one of Rey and Kylo facing off against each other again, oh. which implies that they might be fighting, although I think that's a temporary thing, and I still think they're lined up. And the other one that everyone seems to be freaking out about, and I don't get why, is there's a picture of Luke Skywalker with R2-D2. Some people are still holding out hope that that was actually a projection of Luke that faded away in Last Jedi. I'm just like, let it go, people. But there's still those people out there that think this picture of Luke and R2 is a legit... This is Luke alive now, again. Uh, Josh, did you see the pictures, and what did you think of them? Um... They're interesting to say the least. I, uh, I personally, I just enjoy seeing stuff like this, but there's some, I think the, the fact that there's the, the Knights of Ren in there is interesting. Yes. They Um, did confirm in the article that the Knights of Ren will be back in episode nine. What capacity they will be, uh, isn't specified, but the Knights of Ren are back. Yeah. Which honestly, it makes sense. They, uh, to me, why would you have your fierce, most fearsome warriors guard your, you know, the the uh, you know the supreme leader as opposed to I don't know being out on the field and actually you know doing the bidding. Um. Also, uh, there is the uh, a new character. Yeah, Carrie Russell's character, uh, something something Bliss. Uh, I forget the first name. Zori, Her design looks Zori. awesome. Yeah, um, I don't know if you ever read. There was a book series called Jedi Apprentice. It was uh, the basically the, the adventures of Qui Gon and um, 
Of Obi Wan. Yeah, leading yeah. up into yeah uh, up to the events of uh, Episode One. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in one of the books, there is, and this is going to sound like a tangent, but I'm promise I'm connecting it. Um, in one of the books, there's a bounty hunter that gets sent out, sent after uh, Qui Gon, and this this character so far, at least as far as the 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 design, reminds me of that character. Hmm. So, it, I mean, I. Uh, just on look alone from this photo, but that's you know neither here nor there. The character but looks also, great. I feel pretty confident saying that we can shoot down already that it's Ray's parent. It's one of Ray's parents. I know there's some people out there already. They'll be like, "It's Ray's mom." Like, there's other people in the galaxy out there. Um, well, and I think at this point they're trying to show that it doesn't matter who her parents are. I think if anything, if Ryan Johnson did anything from, in my opinion, that a lot of people didn't like, but I loved was basically take a stand and say, it doesn't matter who her parents are. Like the force isn't just strong with the Skywalker lineage. Like it can be strong with a lot of people. So just the fact that, you know, this girl does come from nowhere we don't know who her parents are, but she's incredibly strong in the Force. I think says more than her be having to be from the Skywalker lineage. Yeah, I could still see that being retcon to back yeah, to whatever JJ's totally. original vision was, and I'd be okay with that. I just Last Jedi retconned a lot of stuff from Force Awakens, so I'm sure Rise of Skywalker is going to retcon stuff from Last Jedi to go back to Force Awakens. Um. It's just nice to see some of these pictures and be like, oh, yeah, Star Wars is coming later this year. It was nice to see Lando back um, in the Millennium Falcon. I still can't shake the feeling that Poe's outfit in this movie looks like Nathan Drake in an Uncharted game. It does. But with t- uh, tandem with that, the picture of Finn and whoever his new friend is reminds love me interest. a lot. Yeah, hopefully. Because I don't really care about um, what's-her-face. Um, oh, Ro- Rose? Yeah, Rose, who yeah. I see her pop figures everywhere because no one buys them. Yes. Uh, but I, I that photo of him and I think her name's Jana, I think. I don't know. But that, that reminds me very much of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. So Yeah, that, yeah, those creatures have a name. I forget what they are. Um, but I like seeing new creature designs. That's always cool to me. Well, and like the fact that she has a bow is super interesting to me too because who uses a bow in Star Wars? Chewbacca? Yeah, but even his, his, his is a laser crossbow. A bow caster, but still it's a bow. Uh, yeah, but like she's got like a bow bow with a draw, like with drawstring and arrows. and A Hawkeye. I, don't know, I just type. thought it was interesting. I do think it's interesting that the one thing that we haven't seen in these pictures or in the trailer was Palpatine himself. Which either they're keeping that very close to the te- to the chest. Or physical Palpatine isn't in it. Exactly. Which and is, it's I think, either like a I think force more spirit or a force spirit embodying somebody else. Oh, how terrifying would it be if she goes to fight um, like Kylo on the on where the Death Star is, and Palpatine like possesses Kylo for a little bit. Which I think that's something people are overlooking is that picture of Rey and Kylo fighting. It looks like they're on the surface of the Death Star. Of it looks very mm-hmm. rainy. Um, in the trailer, 
the um, Death Star was surrounded by water. So I think they're on top of the Death Star when they're fighting in that picture. I wouldn't be surprised. And maybe there's something like the remains of the Emperor or something on that Death Star. Because remember, he got thrown down yeah. the shaft. Yeah. Maybe it's it's got to be something Emperor related on the Death Star. I mean, you'd have to. I don't. Mm. Or they're going after a hologram. Somebody's been holog- checking out my story pitch. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's, there's still a lot that we don't know. And I really, I've always really liked how close, close to the chest uh, they've kept Star Wars movies. Mainly J.J. Abrams. J.J., Yes. For better or for worse, I think at times for worse, J.J. plays things extremely close to the chest. Um, especially this uh, past Star Wars Celebration, he played a lot of things too close to the chest, and I think that actually wasn't necessarily the smartest idea. Like, we got nothing out of Star Wars Celebration. Maybe out of D23. I think it's this year. Um, but yes, he likes to keep things close to the chest. This is one of those times, though, that I think he needs to start not be as secretive as he was with Force Awakens and let some details out early. Maybe. Although, I think if you're going to be tight-lipped about one, I think this would be the one to be tight-lipped about. I disagree. Last Jedi, while I personally loved it, not a lot of... It's got a divide of about 50-50%. You need to get the fan base back on board with this movie, especially. Force Awakens, people were just excited to see this movie. This... Episode 9, you got to get people back in the seats after Last Jedi and after Solo. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you that one. Now, this one, our next news topic, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. And this rumor, it just hurts me whenever we talk about it because I get my hopes up. And I just get them destroyed. But the rumors again are surfacing, this time with a little more evidence backing them up, that Ewan McGregor is coming back as Obi-Wan, this time for a TV show on Disney+. Plus. Now, this has been rumored forever, but now it seems like there's more evidence backing it up. Um, again, some one of my friends on Facebook posted this as a news story on their timeline, and I immediately dropped in that picture of Hawkeye from Endgame. Just don't, don't give me hope, because I've, yeah, you know better than anybody. I have been down this path for like yeah. five years now of getting my hopes up for anything Obi Wan related. So I want to get my hopes up. I just can't. And I feel that. However, I will say this goes along with something I was saying in that a character like Obi-Wan, while yes, a movie would be great, I think deserves a TV show. I think that gives them more time to explore the adventures of Obi-Wan, whether it be before, you know, episode one, whatever, you know. No, not before episode one. There's only one time they can do this between episodes three and four. Exactly. That was going to be my next, what I said next, but yes, I think that if you're going to explore something like that, maybe a one to two season TV show would be the perfect time to do that. Perfect like uh, situation to do that. I still think, and this could just be me putting my tinfoil hat on. I think they were planning one, if not multiple Obi-Wan movies, but they were also expecting Solo to do well. And when Solo flopped, because we all said that it would, but they pressed on anyway with that movie, um, 
that they had to put Obi-Wan on the shelf because they're like, oh, people clearly don't care about spinoff movies, so they clearly wouldn't care about an Obi-Wan movie. No, you're missing the point. We just didn't want a solo movie without Harrison Ford. Well, no one asked for solo, solo movie. Millions of people are asking for Obi-Wan, and you're aggressively ignoring them. Um, yes. But also, I loved Star Wars Rebels as a TV show. It was, I thoroughly enjoyed it. However, you did take away with Rebels one of the biggest story elements that you could have possibly done with an Obi-Wan movie, and that is Darth Maul. Without going to spoilers, True. Star Wars Rebels ended the story of Darth Maul and Obi-Wan. That is something I would much rather seen in a movie or in a TV show. Yes. However, I will say they do it in such in a fashion that is that it's quite satisfying. Oh, I'm not disagreeing at all. How Maul ends his story is great. It was really well done. That being said, tell me you wouldn't have much rather have seen that in live action form. Yes, but no. I think if I had, if I had problems with the storyline that they did with him, I, I think I, I would totally be like, no, like they could have done more. But at the same time, like, did it fit I really, for Rebels? Though is my thing. Of okay, I, I see your point. It, I mean, that episode in but, and of itself is very detached from the rest of the show. It felt very much like a fan service. We need to boost the numbers for the show somehow. Oh, Obi Wan versus Darth Maul. Um. I guess, but it like, felt very I, self-contained. It didn't contribute to the rest of the overall storyline for Rebels. Say that. I mean, yeah, uh, sure. Uh, I'll give it to you. I'll give it so to I you. So I don't and know why that, they felt they had to put that in for Rebels. They could have just left it for Obi-Wan unless that was clearly not the path that they were going for an Obi-Wan movie if it ever was going to happen. Yeah. And the, the big thing, too, I think, is that you could argue against your case or whatever that um, Darth Maul definitely plays a, a pretty heavy part in Ezra's story. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. You could really go a lot of different ways with it. Uh, just quick side tangent. Do you think we'll ever see Ezra in a live action movie? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's been out there. Well, him uh, and Ron are both still somewhere. Yeah, is Rebels like over, over, or yeah, we it just, ended like okay. a year or two ago. Okay, that's why I, I couldn't. I, I thought so. I just want to make sure. Um, I am not all the way caught up, so you and I will have to. I don't know. I can't. There's no way for me to watch it currently. Uh, but I will have to. I have some questions that would with for you about how the show ends, and uh, that way that that'll tell me more as far as what my opinion would be if I could see him coming in. Yeah. Let's just say, I think they're trying to set up another show. Yeah. Hopefully better than star Wars resistance. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's go from something that I've given up hope on essentially with this Obi-Wan movie to something that I know for a fact, a hundred percent is actually happening and that is Christopher Nolan's next movie. It now has a title, a cast, and a general sense, very vague, as I bagged on J.J. Abrams for not spoiling anything. The man of mystery himself, Christopher Nolan, is even more tight-lipped about his projects, but his next project is going to be called Tenant, starring Robert Pattinson, um, um, forget his name, from Black Klansman, the main guy from Black Klansman, 
and will be scored by the guy from Creed 2. Oh, obviously Michael Caine is in this because Michael Caine has to be in every Christopher Nolan movie ever. Yeah. And it's going to be, I believe I read somewhere that it's going to be a spy thriller. Yeah. Uh, spy thriller. John David Washington, I think yes, is the other that's guy. It. Um, I just, you know, because we, 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 we can do this live. Uh, yeah, no, I think, but the, the, I, I think to Christopher Nolan's credit, which is, this is in reference to your comment about him being tight lipped. Um, I think his movies deserve to be tight lipped. Oh yeah. He's that, earned it. Yeah. Oh, he's earned it. And it, the more he hides about them, the more intriguing they get. And honestly, a lot of it's because we'll put more butts in seats. So, yeah. Cause honestly, to me, I love Nolan and we'll talk about him later. Um, he's yet to have a bad movie. He's, I think to me, his worst movie, like this isn't even a bad movie, but just his weakest film to date is either Dark Knight Rises or Interstellar. And I would totally put Rises as, as his weakest. And even then, that's not a bad movie by any stretch. It's just overly ambitious in what it does. Nolan... Yeah. <laughs> Nolan is one of the few directors out there left nowadays that his name alone puts on seats. Like, his name attached to Dunkirk brought in a box office. And he's one of the few directors really left did. that can do that. Not even Spielberg's name nowadays, if it's attached to something, really brings in the Dunkers. He's still, he's still Steven Spielberg. Nolan is just one of those names that when his name gets announced for a movie... It's an event movie. Everyone's got to see it because they're like, oh, what's the new Nolan movie? Because besides the Dark Knight trilogy, he's one of the only directors out there that's consistently making original stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I would agree. Original and interesting. Like you well, have and- the benchmark that is Inception that more or less changed everything and really put him on the map. Like Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. It was the double whammy of Dark Knight and Inception that really brought him into the mainstream, I think. Uh, but he's got a couple others that I'll talk about later that I think fly under the radar. His movies are just, you gotta see what he's bringing next. That being said, I'm a tad bit disappointed with this news only because I was kind of holding out hope, and maybe he'll do it someday, kind of holding out hope that he'd do a horror movie. I think the time will come. Uh, I If you. St- uh, he's kind of like going through the genres. He did like a sci-fi, a sci-fi thriller. He did somewhat uh, romantic thing. with Interstellar. Yeah, romantic slash like space thriller. Yeah. Um, well, I guess in, uh, Inception would be a, a psychological thriller then. Um, but yeah, Psycho- he's kind of going through the genres a little bit. So with this, he's in that spy thriller genre. So, uh, yeah, I can see him. Uh, he's going to make his way to horror. I don't think, I think it's an, 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 a, ugh, man, I'm sorry. I can't talk. Uh, a inevitability. Thanks, Thanos. Um, I think the only genre he'll never tackle, primarily just because of his style, would be a comedy. I mean, I could see, I could see I him. I can't. Something his off. movies are too serious and take themselves very seriously. There's some light humor, but they're never like anything that's like laugh out loud funny. They're very serious and somber in tone. Fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, but there is some moments in uh, Inception that are quite funny. 
Uh, mainly however, Tom Hardy. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it's Tom Hardy. Um, I think also what I take from this is look at my boy Pattinson being attached to two very large, like yes. uh, upscale movies. He's finally getting out of that indie scene, man. And people are those same people that are complaining about Pattinson is not going to be a great Batman. Are those like internet trolls that love and worship Nolan and are just like short circuiting going, but, but Nolan just cast him in a movie. I, I don't know how to react to this. Yeah, exactly. And it's great too. Like I think Pattinson is between, I need to see lighthouse before I hear about it. It's fantastic. So if that's the case, then I think Pattinson is on his way to being, to finally becoming one of the biggest uh, movie stars ever. And I'll say this about uh, Christopher Nolan movies, whether it's him or whoever's in charge of casting his movies, the dude always casts role. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's ever been a, char- any, a character anywhere that I uh, felt like. <laughs> there's, only, there's one miscasting, I think, in Nolan's entire pantheon. Well, maybe two. Okay. I go with Marion Cotillard as, um, what's her face, from Dark Knight Rises. I think she kind of stunk, but I don't know if I blame her for that. And the other oh, one is Scarlett Johansson in the, the Prestige. The chick that, the chick that plays... Um, Talia Al Ghul, there we go. Talia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talia yeah, Al Ghul. No, she didn't suck. I don't think that was her, her fault. Yeah, I don't all. know if it was her, but it was just a bad character. And then the yeah. other one is... Um, Scarlett Johansson in The Prestige. Yes. I think yes. she was definitely miscast for that one. Yes. But I have many issues with The Prestige, but yeah, that is definitely one of them. Yeah, but going from a movie that I'm super excited for to one that I'm on the definition of on the fence with because I, I want this to be good. But like the Obi-Wan thing, I've been burned by this franchise so many times that I have zero faith in it. And this trailer did nothing for me. And we're talking about, of course, the Terminator franchise with its new trailer for the new film, Terminator Dark Fate, which once again goes, everything after 2 doesn't exist like they did with Terminator Genesis. Yep. Yep. And what's great is um, I'm pretty sure it tries to tell the same story as Genesis. If not Genesis, then Terminator Salvation of, I'm a human. No, actually, you're a robot. That's literally what most of Terminator Salvation was, with Sam Worthington being a robot as well. But, yeah, but it should say something that, uh, you know, I don't know the difference. Yeah, it's, the last one was, look, Sarah Connor fights back. With Amelia Clark, except this time we have the original Sarah Connor back, which I'm like, that's great and all, but it's you're still rinsing and repeating elements that we've seen in far better movies. And I've never been a huge fan of James Cameron, but his endorsement of movies nowadays also mean nothing to me because he said Terminator Genesis is one of the best in the franchise. And if we like the first two, we'll love Genesis. And that movie flopped and it was awful. And those also had some of the worst trailers of all time, showing the big John Connor twist in the trailer itself. Yeah, it's... I think, again... (laughs) One of my favorite things to come out of this trailer here are the memes. Um, 
one of these, the, the picture of Sarah Connor when she's walking down the road or whatever. And it just, it just says Karen at, at the bottom of the screen is she's coming. She's unhappy and she wants to talk to your manager. Yeah. <laughs> like um, it just, I don't, I, I don't think any of this looks good. It, 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 not, I'm with you. It, Nothing, There's some good concepts for this. Like, I like that the new Terminator, when he's driving the big semi or whatever, he gets attacked. He, like, duplicates himself to keep the chase up. I'm like, that's a cool concept. Your CGI looks awful for that scene. And then the fact that Sarah Connor just blows him up real quick makes him kind of look like a jobber. But it's... Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I, I love the first two Terminator movies, but this franchise, it's like alien of the more they make, it just goes more and more downhill. And with each passing one, they're like grasping at straws. Yeah. And they're trying, they keep trying to fix it and fix it and fix it instead. And they just keep making it worse and worse. Yeah. It's just, guys, put this one on ice. Forget about it. It's dead. It's gone. <laughs> We have two good movies, and we forget about everything else. Let's – it's just bad. How is it yeah. that the original Terminator still look better graphically than these new ones? Yeah. I well, don't know what to say. Practical effects for one. Absolutely. Uh, practical effects, <laughs> I think, have always looked better for some reason. Well, yeah, because we can always tell what's our brains can always tell kind of what's real, what's fake. So our next news topic, I don't really I do, but I don't care because I'm a casual Star Trek fan. Like I'm aware of its existence and I kind of know some stuff. But growing up, I've always been more of a Star Wars fan. My parents have seen almost everything Star Trek. Um, That being said, this new trailer for the upcoming Picard TV series on CBS All Access, their subscription service. You gotta stop pushing this service so hard, CBS. You tried to get people to come in with Twilight Zone, now you're trying to get them in for this. Just just put it on CBS, please. Um, yeah. There's this new Picard series. I'm interested for two reasons. One, Picard is one of the most iconic characters in all of Star Trek. And two, they're actually getting Patrick Stewart back as Picard, so the teaser more or less implies that something happened and Picard is now back on his vineyard making wine and he's completely removed from the Federation and everything else. Like, he, whether he lost faith in the system or something, I don't know. But they need to bring him back to the captain's chair. As a casual Star Trek fan, but someone that likes um, Picard... This trailer does enough to get me interested. That being said, this show is still a long way off, so I don't know why we have yeah. a trailer this early. But it gets me at least interested. Yeah. I, it, much like um, like the only Stargate that I know well-ish is, is Stargate SG-1 or Scar- Stargate Atlantis. Yeah, but, those are the two best ones. Exactly. But like the, with Star Trek... The only one that I'm aware of is the one with Picard. I've never really really seen any episodes from the original series, but the ones that I'm always coming across and the, all the episodes I've always seen or enjoyed have always enjo- I've always take, taken place during the Picard times. 
And so, like, yeah, I'm super down for Picard, man. I think I would have preferred that if they make another Star Trek that they bring uh, Picard in, like, movie-wise. I doubt it. I think they're kind of – they might be done with the movies. but They are. Um, but, you know, um, Picard is one of my favorite characters in sci-fi history. So, like, absolutely, dude. Leaps and bounds better than Kirk. Well, you just have to not be a terrible human being to be better than Kirk. Yeah, Kirk really is not the best captain out there. Whereas Picard, Picard's great. Patrick Stewart is fantastic. I I need more Patrick Stewart just in everything. He's great. And Picard is one of his most iconic characters besides Professor X. So I'll be very curious to see him return to that role. I'll give credit where credit's due, though. Picard has not aged a day. Patrick Stewart just does not age like a normal person. He really doesn't. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think the only time I've ever been like shocked at how old he looked was in Logan. Logan. Yeah, he and looked I think they, like, super aged him old. Up and made him sickly for that. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, <laughs> CBS All Access. You didn't win me over with Twilight Zone. You got to try harder for Picard. Um, but we'll see. Again, I think this should have been just, like, on TV. They're really pushing this app, and I don't know why. So now we have Picard. We have Star Trek. Dis- Star Trek Discovery is the one that's on that. And then the Orville is the one that's actually on TV, right? Uh, I believe so. I feel like Orville is actually the... Uh, is That's the, the one on Fox, because I see that poster every weekend. I think, yeah, that's the uh, Seth... Seth MacFarlane one. Se- yeah, and that one's like a joke, isn't it? I thought. Yeah, supposedly it's pretty good, though. Huh, all right. Well, now, that's that. This next story is a rather recent development, but it's an odd one for sure. And I think I've tracked down why it's getting so much interesting speculation around it. So, Spider-Man 3. Not not the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3, but we have Spider-Man Far From Home coming out. Uh, July 2nd, and then the next Spider-Man after that will be the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. People are already thinking ahead to that Spider-Man movie, and according to some rumors, Disney themselves is looking at it. So they're looking at a couple different options for what to do with Spider-Man 3. And again, these are just rumors, but there's been some discussion about how do we introduce Deadpool into the MCU, and there's some discussion, maybe we can introduce Deadpool into Spider-Man 3. But on the flip side, Sony is also saying, well, what about we introduce Venom into Spider-Man 3? Me, in the back of my mind, is going, why are all third installments of Spider-Man movies cursed? You have Spider-Man 3, amazing Spider-Man 3 that didn't even happen, yeah. and now this one. I There is a reason for this, but before I get into the actual like nitty-gritty and research for this, Josh... What are your thoughts about this? Potential of Deadpool being in a Spider-Man movie? Venom being in a Spider-Man movie? Um, first of all, Fox. You don't get to sit here and be uh, like... Disney owns Fox now, remember? No, I know. No, hear me out. Hear me out. You don't get to sit here and say, oh, we're going to make a Venom-verse. Oh, this is completely detached from everything Fox else. Fox has nothing to do with Venom, dude. <sighs> I'm so done. I'm just done. I'm done. Sony owns Venom. What? 
Sony owns Venom. Fox owned Deadpool. And now Marvel owns Deadpool again. Oh my goodness. This is all so confusing. Uh, Which reminds so, me, I saw the Dead I saw the Venom movie. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's not nearly as bad as I was expecting. I think my standards were just so low for it. It wasn't that bad. I was able to yeah. turn my brain off and just enjoy it for a while. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, but like that's yeah. gonna be that you're gonna be fighting that then. Okay, th- that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse. If if uh if Sony's not yeah right, Sony is the one that owns Venom, Venom and they and own Spider Man. Yeah, and so Fox and you said Fox is wanting them to add. Well, no, Venom, Fox correct? is no more. Remember, Marvel correct. owns Deadpool. They're just trying to think about how to introduce him into the world. Got it. Okay. Hurt. Um, sorry. Like all of this is can get so confuddled and and confusing. But yeah, <laughs> it's not even as confusing as like She-Hulk or Namor in terms of legal jurisdiction. Oh yeah. Or Shazam. Oh, oh geez. Um. So the one thing I do like and I do agree with about this situation is I like Deadpool being introduced through Spider-Man because uh, in every incarnation, whenever we've gotten that on a screen, whether it be TV, a TV show, um, I haven't enjoyed that interaction because Peter is very like, a very good, very innocent, and very good. And then you, if you put that against or in tandem with uh, the Merc with the Mouth, who, while enjoyable, is not a good person. Oh um, no, no, not at all. It would, it, it it's it makes for some very interesting comedy. Now. I'm more okay with the Venom thing, and here's why. I think they're in two different universes, and they can, via this multiverse that's being teased in Far From Home, either Spider-Man can go to Venom's world and help him and save him for something, or Venom can come to our world for a movie, and they can figure it out this way. So the reason why this is getting so much discussion right now is because... Um, in the deal that Sony made with Marvel, would be like, hey, you can have Spider-Man as a character in your universe for five movies. Far From Home is that fifth movie. So they have yet to re-sign a deal. It's being rumored that they've secretly already signed on for a third Spider-Man movie, but Far From Home is the only one that's guaranteed. So, Sony, if they really wanted to, I don't think they will, but if they really wanted to be jerks, they could take Spider-Man back and just be like, yep, we have Tom Holland, Spider-Man again. We don't really need the MCU. That's why there's all this discussion in the air right now. What are we doing with Spider-Man 3? I think the deal's worked out both for Sony and for Marvel, so I think he's staying put. But there's always that possibility of, well, Spider-Man can join Venom now. And maybe that's why they're introducing a multiverse of people can exist in different worlds or the classic Fox characters existed in this other pocket universe a long time ago. Or Venom existed in this other pocket universe in this grander multiverse that we're getting. Yeah. mm, The big thing is I don't think it benefits Sony to to take the Tom Holland Spider-Man away. 
Oh, I completely agree. But Sony's done stupid stuff before. Oh, uh, fair enough. I, I I think that would easily blow up in their face. Oh, uh, absolutely. But yeah, they can definitely. As annoying as it is that they're getting to this before DC de- did, they've ruined uh, Spider-Man twice already. So why not Sony's- do it again? Yeah. They're thinking hat trick. I don't want them to. They finally have found their footing with the perfect Spider-Man and the way that they're doing it. And Marvel is clearly playing the long game with Spider-Man as well. So I just hope Sony doesn't come along and ruin that. Fair enough. And to be fair, I feel like Disney would be smart enough to not necessarily play the quote-unquote long game if they didn't feel like they were going to have Spider-Man for good. Yeah, if... If Sony tries to take away Spider-Man or they'd be like, okay, we'll take him back now. I could see Marvel being at the point now where they have Fox, they have all this other assets. Be like, okay, we're going to do something we couldn't do before. We'll buy Spider-Man from you. We're not going to lease anymore. We're going to lease to own. Yeah. It's going to be expensive, but But I could see them buying Spider-Man outright. Absolutely, finally. Yeah. Now, Which, yeah. shifting yeah, gears. Huh, do you have something else? No, I, I'm sorry. I, I was just, it, there's a lot of possibilities. and uh, I just as don't want to say, love, say goodbye to this Spider-Man yet. No, I, I agree. And I think they've done, so far they've done a good job of, of being, of using Spider-Man villains we don't always use. Mysterio. So, Mysterio, uh, Vulture. So, for to go to three and hit hit up Venom, I feel would almost it would like, be too Spider Man three ish. Exactly, it's way too Spider Man three ish. I I could see them doing ta- especially if uh, Far From Home turns out to be Mysterio and and uh, Chameleon. Oh. We're clearly building towards a Sinister Six, so we don't They're need Venom in there. Exactly. And if anything, then have three be Taskmaster. No, Taskmaster is probably in uh, Black Widow. I mean, yeah, but still, <laughs> I can dream, Harold. Yeah. Now, as um, Monty Python would say, now for something entirely different. Yep. As something that I'm still no less excited for. Um, so there's a well-known Zach Galifianakis comedy series on Funny or Die called Between Two Ferns, in which case he sits down with actual celebrities and more or less completely stone-faced serious, asks them just stupid and moronic questions, and it's completely deadpan humor, and it's great. He interviews people like uh, Hillary Clinton, Obama, um, Brad Pitt, Jennifer Lawrence... And it's just downright hilarious. It's so deadpan, and it's great. Um, we're getting a Between Two Ferns movie with Zach Galifianakis coming to Netflix this September. I'm so down for this. Okay. <laughs> have you not seen any of the Between Two Ferns skits? I've, I have seen uh, little bits and pieces, like through memes and stuff. But oh, please tell me you've seen it. the Hillary Clinton one. Where he like asks her like something like, "What's the best way to reach you? Of, Email?" Yeah, exactly. Like, like stupid stuff like that. 
I mean, well, it, it, it could work, man. I don't know what you would do as far as a movie, but I would see that as like more of a comedy special. But I don't know, man. Yeah, Crap, the big issue they, will be adapting it to feature length. Like, I love if, Key and Peele sketches. I think those are hysterical. That being said, Keanu was just okay. Yeah, but I think with Zach, oh, man. What if they went like an Anchorman route? Ooh, okay. More like that could be really entertaining. Make sure it's Anchorman and not like Anchorman Two. But yeah, I get what uh, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you, you, like that kind of concept of between two ferns has has been this talk show, and so then then the Zach becomes a, a, this character that is deadpan in a world that is not deadpan, <laughs> and it, it would be interesting to say the least. Or, like, he's such a stupid character, but he doesn't realize how dumb he is. Exactly. Like, as mentioned, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the, I still laugh so hard at the Hillary Clinton one of, it's like, it was filmed around Halloween time, so he's, like, wearing a mask and he tries to scare her, and he gets tackled by Secret Service. And <laughs> he's just like, I, I was just trying to scare her, and she's like, that, really? You thought that was a good idea? Yeah. I think yeah, and that and if you put that in a Anchorman type world, I think that could be quite funny. Oh gosh, especially if you could actually tie in with Anchorman and have Steve Carell's Brick Tamlin in there. Oh man! Oh no! <laughs> I need more Brick in my life other. anyway. So I I heard you like lamps. <laughs> I mean, Brick's yeah, just uh, staring at him or the camera or the lights or whatever, just. That's a crossover I never knew I wanted. Yeah, that now you do. Da, da, da. Also, another pairing that I never would have put together, Taiko Atiti and anime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. As much as I've enjoyed Taiko... You say his name way Taiko better than I Yes. Um, as much as I've enjoyed the most recent work, I... Uh, I don't know how I feel about this, especially with the show like Akira. Yeah, so Taika Waititi is doing the, I believe, live action, uh, live action film version of Akira, which for a while there, I thought Christopher Nolan's name was attached to it, but I guess not. I guess he passed on it. Um, Akira's very serious, isn't it? I, I know it's yeah. really, really famous and what's the most famous anime of all time. And it's been a very troubled production trying to get to this live-action phase. I love Taika Waititi as a director and as a comedic actor. That being said, huh? The big thing is, the the you know, just off the cuff, um, I can see the way that he directed the uh, Thor Ragnarok as far as set design and, and colors and stuff like that. That kind of uh, expertise would play greatly into an Akira movie. Now, I agree, he definitely feels more like a comedy director, and Akira is a very serious film. So, I don't know, man. Sure, why not? I will say, both from Thor Ragnarok and my personal favorite Taika Waititi movie, What We Do in the Shadows, he writes really well. Thor Ragnarok had some really, really well-written jokes, whether those are improvised or they're written. What We Do in the Shadows also incredibly funny because of how well it was written. I think this movie 
will be just fine with him at the helm. He is a good director. Yes, he has more of a comedic leaning in his films. That being said, just because someone has more of a comedic background doesn't necessarily preclude them from being a great director. There's someone I'm going to talk about later for some of my all-time favorite directors that really started off in comedy but has proven to be one of the best serious directors nowadays while still sprinkling in some comedy occasionally in his films. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. That being said, I know nothing about this movie. I know I should because of it's so wildly popular and super influential and everything. But um, yeah, yeah, I know nothing except for there's that bike just because I've seen the yeah. poster everywhere. I, uh, I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu, so I might go check that out tonight. And just oh, if it's on Hulu, the- I'll check it out too. Yeah, I'll let you know. Now, for our last news topic of the day, I hope this is a good thing. I really do. Um, it should be a good thing, by and large. And that is, so not too long ago, we were saying how bad the new Sonic designs were. Like, the trailer was bad, but more than anything, Sonic himself looked like trash. And we were saying they really need to push this back because the director has said, oh, yeah, we take your feedback, we get it, you don't like how Sonic looks, so we're going back to the drawing board and fixing him. So we said, please, you got to push this back so as not to overwork your CGI people. Well... Clearly, they listened to us because it is getting pushed back four months to Valentine's Day weekend of next year. Thank goodness I would feel so bad for the CGI people involved. Um, This has to be a good move, right? No. Oh? (laughs) I'm going to say no. While, okay. I have many opinions on this. First of all, there's no, the trailer's already out. How are you just now realizing this was that that design is a bad idea? How? How? And then not only that, you're going to let a bunch of low life people who pretend to have good opinions on things most of the time dictate how you make your movie as a giant multi-million dollar studio i get that i get that directors shouldn't have to cave to the whims of angry fans if that was the case we would never have a star wars movie again because it'd be constant reshoots oh wait solo um yes by and large directors should not listen to fans that being said it's not like you're recasting the actor it's not like when Ben Affleck was cast as Batman, Warner Bros. is going, oh, man, people on Twitter are really not happy about this. Did we make the right choice? We need to recast him. It was a matter of the design is not working. It's something that it is within our power to fix. So let's Fair fix enough. it. I'll give, I'll, I'll give you that. It is within their um, power to fix it. It's not like they're reworking the whole movie, which, honestly, from the rest of the trailer, may be a good idea. Um It's fixing a character's design, which admittedly they should have caught it sooner because it does look like the live-action version of Thing 1 and Thing 2 from the awful Cat in the Hat movie. Exactly. It's So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting... The whole situation is weird. And really, if you're going to... If you have to go redesign the character, it's CGI. So you're going to have to go redesign him and replace him through the entire film. 
So like, uh, and I maybe you know, maybe this is the opportunity that you're going to take to oh I don't know uh, oh maybe the story wasn't as strong as we could, as we could make it let's uh let's uh, change it up just a little bit to make it a better story I don't know I don't know if they'll do that I would like to think they might but more than anything I'm glad that since they've made these changes that they've also come out and said okay. Since we're making these changes, we're going to also push back the release date so that way we're yes. not overworking our visual effects people who are already some of the most under-pressure people in the industry. Oh, I agree. Or else you have people that make the effects for Black Panther, which I watched an interesting video earlier today, actually, about um, Black Panther's visual effects team only got the effects for to start working on the effects for Black Panther in December that movie came out in February. Jeez. And now I'm just going, okay, now I can understand why Henry Cavill's face looked as terrifying as it did. Yeah. Which I still, uh, that, I'm not as mad about it as some other people. It's just like, I, it's not. It's not the best looking. It's, we always blame the wrong people for it. People are just like, why does, why does it look so bad? It's clearly the people in Justice League's fault. I'm like, "Mm, no. Blame the people that made Mission Impossible. I do. (laughs) Yeah, well, that'll about do it for our news topics today. Um, Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week? Um, I'm going to go with Verizon Roadside Assistance. They've uh, saved my butt this weekend, so. Alrighty then. Um, so this may come as a shock to some of you, but, um, Josh and I are really big film fans. So naturally, I don't know about you, Josh, but I don't, a lot of people have like their favorite actors that are like, oh, this actor's in a movie. I gotta go see it. I don't really have that. I have this person's making the movie or this thing is attached to this. That I'm more interested in. I'm more interested in seeing the next Christopher Nolan movie than seeing the next Tom Cruise movie. Like, some people have their favorite actors or actresses of, ooh, I find this person attractive, so I need to see it because they're in it, um, Chris Evans. I, me, I'm more director-oriented of I like how they tell their stories, of what stories they tell. I'm more interested in that. So today we're going to talk about that. Josh and I are going to talk about our favorite or the directors that have influenced us the most and our enjoyment and our style of films that we enjoy. So I'll start it off with the one that's influenced me the most as a film fan. I already said it earlier. Christopher Nolan. The dude, to me, has not made a single bad movie. He's made some that I don't enjoy as much as others, but none of them are bad at all. His film, The Dark Knight, single-handedly made me an uber movie fan for life. I've always liked movies, but The Dark Knight is the one that really turned a corner for me. And so after Dark Knight, I was like, okay, got to go back and watch Batman Begins, which is awesome. And then I became a hyper fan of Christopher Nolan. I've seen every Christopher Nolan movie except for Dunkirk. I own it. I haven't watched it yet. I've seen them all. I've seen um, his first, his first, like, Student film, uh, I think it's either Shutterbug or Doodlebug. Uh, I've seen Following, um, Insomnia, Memento, The Prestige, which I think is his most underrated one. I love The Prestige. Just the way he tells his stories are really well composed, well thought out. They're just, they're the anti-blockbuster, if that makes sense, of like, most blockbusters are loud, visual, eye candy 
Nolan still has that, but he puts actual thought and process into all of his movies. And I really appreciate that he doesn't always rush out to project. He takes his time picking his next movie. That's why it's always a big deal when he has a movie because he takes his time making one. And they're also very different in what they do of Dunkirk is clearly not the same movie as The Prestige, which is clearly not the same movie as Memento, which is clearly not the same movie as Inception. Yeah. He, uh, Nolan is, is I think, what, like something we said earlier today, or earlier, not today, uh, in this uh, podcast, um, in that he's one of the few names nowadays that is, when, when attached to a movie, there's an immediate buzz. Because he's that his directing style is that different and that big of a deal. Oh yeah, and I will admit that he has this like internet following just because he made The Dark Knight, and people are like, "Oh, he made The Dark Knight." Oh, hail the Nolan! I like any director; he's got his flaws. Of his characters are kind of emotionally cold and distant, and he doesn't do emotional beats very well in his movies. And at times, it can be a little bit too analytical. That being said, I love all of his films. He's still, by and away, my favorite director. Even if some other ones have gotten close in recent years, he's still the one that's influenced me the most as a movie fan of wanting to learn more about the craft, learning more about the behind the scenes, and just movie making in general. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, before I go into some other more of mine. Josh, who are some of your favorite directors or most influential directors to you? So one of the, one of the, much like you and that in your first one that you've presented, uh, my first director is some, is one that is also very visually different and very, his movies are very, very, very unique. And he also almost always puts out original content. Uh, Wes Anderson is, Legitimately, is the first director I found that was like so different that I could tell is just by looking at a, at a trailer or a shot of from a movie or something like of, to that to that you know spec that yeah that's a Western Anderson film because he's very att- attuned to colors he's very attuned to the way that he writes characters and the way that his dialogue works as well. His camera shots are extremely unique as well. Jeez. Yeah. Wes Anderson is one of those names that it's just like, it's its own style. You can't describe it. It's it's a Wes Anderson movie. Like some people will say that like Quentin Tarantino, you can always tell his movies. Some of his, I can't off the bat tell that it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. Wes yeah. Anderson, oh yeah. You can always tell what's a Wes Anderson movie. Primarily because shots are symmetrical and Bill Murray's in there somewhere. Absolutely. Well, and like, and that, and the way that the color scheme works, it works throughout the movie. It's not just like, well, this scene is set here, so we're going to have, you know, all, all these certain colors here. Like, no, like he, he takes one color palette and that is the film. And that's like, A, very unique and B, extremely hard to do and C, like that, that's some attention to detail that. I don't think any any of us were really ready for. He also emotionally balances his his movies well. Of every single one of his movies, come across as both happy and sad at the same time. Exactly. 
I, I would agree. I, I think uh, one of my favorites of his is uh, Moon. <clears throat> excuse me, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, have you have you seen it? That's one of the few that I have not seen yet. Okay. It is always the one that I recommend the most, uh, partially because it it feels like a coming of age story, but at the same time, like it's just about a bunch of kids who feel that they know better than the adults. And honestly, in a lot of the way, in a lot of ways, they do. It's something Wes Anderson has always done well is wrote, written his characters very well. Like, yes, everyone there, everyone has their great moments, but everyone's flawed. But like the flaws are almost never detrimental or make them terrible people. They're just flaws. Yeah, I think still my favorite Wes Anderson movie is Grand Budapest Hotel, followed close behind yeah. by Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. But Ooh, it's good stuff. Both of them are just great. I uh, I personally I, I do like Life Aquatic, uh, but if I'm ranking my top three, it's definitely Moonrise Kingdom, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and uh, the Life Aquatic. Really, Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, and part of that is because of the feat that he he completed with that, like having never done a claymation movie, and then doing going and doing that uh, with no no experience in it, and then but still sticking to his style was inc- to me very interesting and the movie itself is 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 quite entertaining just out of curiosity did you read the books growing up i did not i i have no idea i didn't even know there was a book okay i didn't know if that factored into your no no not at all liking of the i movie i just not. i genuinely i and i mean you know maybe that's my personality though because i did grow up reading uh red wall and you know books like of that you know peak of having animals having certain lives i guess but uh no i just i enjoy the movie quite a bit i i love um george clooney in the film i think he's very entertaining and i, I like that the the movie's almost laid out in a in a obvious book story form as opposed to just we're going to adapt a book to a movie hmm now, there's one that I know is on your list that is actually on my list, too. I think it's one of the few names that actually overlaps on both of our lists. And that is horror-slash-action director James Wan, who is yes. probably the other director besides Nolan that, when his name is attached to something, people are immediately interested. Even if he's not directing it, The Nun, uh, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, even if his, he's not directing it but his name is attached to it, People will still flock to go see the movie because they like his stuff. He's done Saw, Insidious, The Conjuring, and most recently, I'm going to go out and say it, stand on my tower and proclaim in my loudest voice, the best DCEU movie so far, Aquaman. Absolutely. James Wan is just, I just thoroughly enjoy his movies. And he did one of the Fast and Furious movies too. I forget which one. Maybe it was five or six. When did they start yeah. getting good and entertaining? Because I think that was his. I, I, I don't know because I I've, I find them all entertaining in their own way. So I would That be being to... said, I'm totally seeing um, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, absolutely. That looks great. But yeah, James Wan is notorious for a lot of things too. And He's very good at constructing stories. He's very, I think you and I, one of the things we talked about when, especially that became very apparent, especially with 
Aquaman was his attention to detail, not only story, but in character. And the creature designs were incredible as well. Oh, yeah, just all the aesthetics of Aquaman, both the costuming, the creature aesthetics, the lighting, the colors. It was just fantastic. It was gorgeous. But James Wan is known for one thing more than anything else, and that's the thing he excels at more than anything else, and that's horror. If you tell me James Wan is directing a horror movie, I'm there. So fast. Some of them aren't as good as others. Looking at you, Conjuring 2, I didn't think you were as good as some other James Wan movies. That being said, James Wan's worst horror movies are still better than about 80% of other horror movies nowadays. Oh, absolutely. And I think part of that is his dedication to getting the right shot and the right emotion. and Timing, too. Exactly. He's very good at that. Now, I have another horror director later, but I'll save him for last because I'm going to gush about him for quite a while. Um, Josh, who else is on your list? Um, I was going to go ahead and take uh, Chad Chazitsky off the list. Stahelski? Chazitsky, whatever. You know, you'd think if I enjoyed a a, a director's work that I'd learn how to pronounce their name right. Well, considering he's only more or less done a trilogy, that's about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, and one of my favorite comedies of all time. He did Kung Pao? Yeah. As a stuntman or, like, actually directed it? You know what? I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. All I know is I enjoy him. But, I mean, to be fair... all you're known for is the John Wick trilogy, you're still doing something right. Oh, I agree. To me, I think his... And you can definitely tell his background in a stuntman... Uh, definitely plays a large part in how he directs movies, his shots, and the way that he directs action. As far as you can tell that in John Wick, especially in three, uh, with uh, one of the opening shots, and that and basically is a knife fight. And like the shot is so long, but it it's fairly stagnant. It's very it, it, you see everything that's happening. Yeah. It's he knows how to do stunts, but not only that, he knows how to have good cinematography and good color. The John Wick movies are just so entertaining because there's a breath of fresh air in the action genre that can feel bloated and mundane after a while. But all the John Wick movies have this uniqueness to them, and you can tell that he's clearly a stuntman because of his focus on stunts, but doing them well. That being said, he builds everything else around the stunts to be interesting. He builds tension well. He makes characters interesting. Even if they're not the most well-rounded characters, you still care about them. You still care about John Wick. You still care about the concierge. You did care about Winston at one point. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate him as a director, and I think action should go in that direction. It should be... Well, you know what? No, I think that... If you're going to do action of that type, it absolutely you absolutely need to see everything. It, 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 to, to, to sit here and try to hide it behind camera shots and angles, I think cheapens the the actual tension of the show of the what we're what the uh, what we're seeing. Agreed. So, I talked earlier about a director that started in comedy and more or less they were in comedies, then he directed a comedy, and then he started to do more well-rounded stuff, 
And now he's attached to some of the biggest projects in Hollywood nowadays. Um, Josh, any guesses who I'm talking about? Um, I'm just going to talk about, I'm probably going to be Jordan Peele. Nope. Really? But we can talk about Jordan Peele if you want. I'm just kind of eh about him. I mean, he, I, the only reason I didn't put him on this list is because he's only done two movies outside of comedy. Yeah. Um, and so like, he's still got a lot to prove, I guess, quote unquote, (laughs) in, uh, in my mind. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Is it uh, Tika Watiti? Nope. He's only okay. done two movies, to my knowledge. Well, he's done more, but he's only done two that I've seen. Okay. Oh, Not a bigger uh, name, man. Huh. John Favreau. Oh. Oh. Started off I... in a whole bunch of comedies. Started off on Friends of All Things, being uh, yeah. Monica's boyfriend at one point. Then directed Elf. Then a couple little projects. Then he did this little movie in 2008 with a recovering alcoholic by the name of Robert Downey Jr. called Iron Man. I can't believe that I forgot about him. He's I'm really a- Considering how many big things he's attached to, people seem to forget about Jon Favreau. But one, he directed Iron Man, the thing that literally started the MCU and is a great movie. Yes, he did Iron Man 2, but I don't blame him for that. I can tell that there's a lot of studio interference for Iron Man 2. It's blatantly yes. obvious. Take away that, he did Zathura, which is actually not too bad. He did Jungle Book, which was phenomenal. He's doing the new Lion King, which I absolutely have faith is going to be awesome. And he's doing a couple episodes of The Mandalorian, too. Oh, Absolutely. I, I, and of course, you know, I'm not going to get out of this discussion of John Favreau without bringing up Chef. Yes. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, John Favreau needs more attention as a great director. He's come a long way since his swinger days. Oh, absolutely. And like the thing is, too, he's, he's, he's a decent actor, too, and he can totally be in the films that he's directing. Mm hmm. No longer is he just that guy that's in Vince Vaughn movies. He's he's John Favreau. People know who he is now. And he's a great director in terms of he's done great stuff, but he's also done a great variety of things. Elf is not like Iron Man, which is not like Jungle Book. And they're all yeah. really, really good. He He's very good at... I don't want to say his style is like a generic style because that's not the case. But at the same time, he like does have like this overarching like he understands how to tell a good story. Yeah, and he tells a good story with likable characters. Exactly. I still think the best knows how to hit those notes. The best Iron Man, the character. The only times that I've liked Iron Man as a character is when Favreau directed him. Exactly, because he. He's he is that character that is very much like Robert Downey Jr. in the sense that he's coming back from a lot. Yeah, and I don't I don't necessarily know if it's safe. Like I said earlier, I don't know if "safe" is the right word. He doesn't have as unique of a style as like Wes Anderson that immediately calls attention to itself. He, as a director, kind of blends into the background of his movie, which is good. Because he just cares more about delivering a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, when I say safe, there is a name that's on my list that is absolutely the safest director out there. That being said, this director is like a Starbucks. It's not as good as it used to be, but it's safe, it's routine, you know what you're going to get every time with a Steven Spielberg movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's always great. Well, it's always really good. Not as good as it used to be, but it's always at least good. And you got to admit, there's no one better. Yeah. There's there's nobody that knows how to tell a good war story like Steven Spielberg. Like, yes, you always have your nitpicks for Spielberg. You always have to have some form of a sappy ending or a happy ending. But when the dude really hits it out of the park... He knows how to tell a great story, whether that's like your old school, like your Indiana Jones, your Jaws, or even your new school, like Ready Player One, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. And for some reason, people were surprised. They're like, wow, Ready Player One was good. I was like, did you not see that it was Spielberg attached to this? He knows how to make a nostalgically good movie. It's hard to... (laughs) It's hard to not enjoy a Steven Spielberg, yeah, Spielberg movie. Man, I cannot talk tonight. There's one Spielberg movie that everyone seems to love that I don't care for. Oh? E.T. Oh, yeah. No, that movie still to this day terrifies me. Yeah, I don't get how people think E.T.'s cute. He's not. He's, he's, like, he's, I always he's laugh because it's kind of true in the movie Big Fat Liar when they're raiding the warehouse and they see the E.T. statue. And he's like, oh, my God, Grandma Pearl. Oh, gosh. Which Big Fat Liar is a very underappreciated comedy. That movie's great. But, yeah, I'd never care for E.T., but Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest directors of all time. And I almost always enjoy his movies. Maybe not War of the Worlds or War Horse. But yeah. most of his stuff is really, really solid. And if he's like the go-to, if you want to know how to make a good film, follow his example. Yeah. And I think the big thing, too, is even with War of the Worlds and War Horse is he does try to tell tell original stories and get get a good content across. Oh, absolutely. And there's no doubt he inspired generations to come. I know for a fact there's somebody on your list who is heavily inspired by Spielberg, so much so that one of his movies is more or less a love letter directly to the man. What? No way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe are- that movie is Super 8. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, which is directed by the one and only J.J. Uh, Abrams. Yeah, which I watched Super 8 maybe about a month or two ago. Not as good as I remember, but... Very much a Spielberg, please notice me. <laughs> yes, very much so. But like, I think the things that he or, he is known for outside of inventing the lens flare. Uh... <laughs> yeah, good grief. If I never have to see another lens flare in a Star Trek movie, it'll be too soon. You know what's bad? When he actually came out after Into Darkness and apologized for his amount of lens flares. Yes. I mean, to be fair... I wouldn't blame him. I mean, if you have a new toy and you like how it looks, I mean, you're going to show it off. Also, J.J. Abrams doesn't get nearly enough credit for discovering Chris Hemsworth. No, he does not. Because he was 
um, Kirk's father in the first Star Trek before he was Thor. And he was a literal nobody. Yeah. When we found out who was playing Thor, we were just like, oh, yeah, that guy that died at the beginning of the first Star Trek movie? Yeah. Literally, he has done nothing with, you know, up to this point. But, yeah. Boy. J.J., he's got an interesting background of he's balanced movies and TV. Like, still to this day, and maybe it's just me, I know J.J. Moore is a TV guy of, like, um, did he do Alias? Is that right? Yep. He was Alias. Uh, for the most part, he's involved with Lost. Yeah, he, he did a lot of Lost. Did he do the ending? Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you because I don't like that that show. In yeah, general. I haven't cared for the show, but I know a lot of people don't like the ending. And one of the criticisms people often lobby towards J.J. Abrams is he doesn't know how to finish a story well. Uh, which I could definitely disagree with. That's why I'm just like, we'll see what he brings to the table for Rise of Skywalker. But what is it about J.J. that you like, personally? Um... He <laughs> he's very good at telling different kinds of stories. I mean, he, we can go from movies like Mission the, his Mission Impossible films to going to film. You know, he only did, he did three. Two. I thought he did two. No, two is uh, John Woo. First one is Brian De Palma. Second one is Brian John Woo. Uh, third one is J.J. Abrams. Fourth is Brad Bird. Five and six are uh, Chris McQuarrie. Interesting. Okay. But he can do stuff like Clover, Cloverfield and then turn around and do The Force Awakens and then do you know, episodes of TV. And he's a very versatile director in my opinion. Yeah, I... I enjoy his movies. I don't know if I'll ever put him as my favorite. Maybe if he sticks the landing for Rise of Skywalker, he might be. Um, I like him because he's he's clearly one of us. He's definitely a fanboy at heart. Oh, definitely. But Ooh. he's oh, he's okay. I like his stuff, but I don't know if I put him in my upper echelon of all time favorites. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would keep him up there with uh, with maybe some of my, my if I did top ten, I would I, I could see doing top ten with him. Well, I got two more before I delve into those. Josh, you got any others? Um, I enjoy Ron Howard quite a bit. I think he he brings that's some another good one stuff. that's a pretty safe name. Yeah, he's very safe, but he uh, he's pretty consistent. Is Ron Howard uh, the guy that did Apollo thirteen? I forget. I think it was Ron Howard for Apollo 13. I don't... I'll say that that one's probably my favorite Ron Howard movie. I really like really? Apollo 13. Really? Over, like, Osmosis Jones or... Uh... That wasn't even Ron Howard. Shh. Don't talk to me. I know everything. Clearly you don't. <laughs> I know. I literally don't know anything. Let's let's be real here. So, uh, who do you have? <laughs> so, I actually had to think about. I was like looking at my shelf, and I was actually kicking myself that I didn't think of this name sooner. Brad Bird. Oh man, I'm so glad that we didn't get out of this discussion with, without talking about Brad Bird. Yeah, it, it took me a while. I was like, oh, Iron Giant, Brad Bird. 
But it's not just yeah. Iron Giant and my immense love affair for that movie, as it's been well documented. But looking at his movies, they're so varied in terms of style, but they're also just almost all of them are good. You have Iron Giant, The Incredibles. Uh, a lot of people like Ratatouille. I'm kind of meh about it, but a lot of people like Ratatouille. He directed my favorite of the Mission Impossible movies, Ghost Protocol, the one where uh, Tom Cruise is on the side of the Burj Khalifa building. Granted, yeah. he did Tomorrowland, which is not very good. Um, every director's entitled to have one or two misfires. But I always love how just old-school adventure Brad Bird brings to the table for his movies. Yes. Uh, Incredibles has this old school vibe to it. Iron Giant clearly has this old school vibe to it. A lot of his movies have this like 50s or 60s spy thriller to them or undertone to them of Incredibles and Iron Giant both have this like Norman Rockwell 60s vibe to them. More so with Iron Giant, but there's still that throwback city vibe to the Incredibles. Um, and even Mission Impossible, I'd argue has this, like, old-school spy thriller tone to it, more so than others. He just knows how to make a fun movie more than anything else. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He He's good at telling family stories as well. Like, not, not like, family movies necessarily, but... But movies about like, family. Incredibles, yeah. to a certain extent, Mission Impossible, or even so, so, fractured families that aren't, like, a whole family unit like Iron Giant, where it's just the mom and the son and an oversized exactly. dog. Yeah, basically. And the best Vin Diesel performance he's ever given. I mean, it wouldn't, that doesn't take much. He's proven that he can do both animation and live action and do them well. And I'm still mad that he has not done a Superman movie. He will one day. Because I think he'd be perfect for it. What? I don't think I've asked you this, Josh. What did you think of Incredibles 2 with Brad Bird returning for that as well? I liked it. I, yeah. I did like it. I, I think my big thing is um, I would have wished we we went farther in the future instead of Jack Jack right is then. the villain. Yeah. As the rebellious it, teenager. I would have liked that, I think, a little bit more. Uh, yeah. However, given the story that we got, I was pretty down for it. Like, it, it was definitely – it was not a safe story to go with. It was not an easy story to go with. Um, especially not with making Elastigirl the focus. It, 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 it definitely, I mean, I guess you can make the argue, the argument that, you know, given today's world and the, the political climate, blah, 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 um, that it, it, it makes sense. But at the same time, like the way that he tells that story is very unique and it feels very fresh. I thought Incredibles 2 was fine. Not necessarily worth the years upon years of waiting that we had to wait for some reason. Like, they're like, it was worth the wait. I don't know if any movie's worth a 13-year wait. It was good. To me, it was on par with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Really good time in a theater. As soon as I left, I don't really remember a whole lot of it. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I love Brad Bird. I always have, always will hold a special place in my heart for all those different movies. But there's one director that is, like, skyrocketing to the top of my list for all-time favorite director of... Saw one of his movies, really enjoyed it. 
the more I'm watching of his stuff, the more I'm just absolutely loving everything that I'm seeing of his. And I'm like going out of my way to seek out his previous stuff. Um, the one I'm on the hunt for currently is Ouija Origin of Evil because I've heard it's phenomenal. Oh, and it is. I love his work. And I'm, of course, talking about the Haunting of Hill House's Mike Flanagan. This man is the new name in horror. This guy, holy crap. I'm not easily scared in horror movies just because I've seen so many. You know what's coming. When I saw The Nun, I was able to count down the jump scares to the second because they were that predictable. I just, yeah. I know horror movies. I get scared by Mike Flanagan stuff because he knows atmosphere. He knows pacing. He knows how to draw stuff out. His cinematography is gorgeous. His storytelling is phenomenal. There's an episode in The Haunting of Hill House, in episode eight, that two characters are having a conversation and a jump scare happens in the middle of that conversation. And it was the scariest jump scare I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is saying something. I've been in the room when Josh was scared by 1408. And that was a great jump scare. But It was. No, this jump scare... Heather was asleep in the next room, and I almost screamed and woke her up because I was, I got startled that badly. But take away Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, because as great as the series that is, he's got so many other great projects. He has this one movie called Hush, also on Netflix. If you have not seen Hush, do it now. It is so good. Basically, it is a slasher movie, except there's only more or less one character to slash, and she's deaf so you go through this whole story more or less at times through her auditory perspective and the use of sound is phenomenal the performances are excellent and i discovered the actress that uh is in hush is actually director mike flanagan's real life wife oh wow she's great yeah and he uses her for several projects but he also did this other movie that is now on netflix called before i wake which is a very different uh, horror film, which some people might be put off by that. Uh, it's more or less an emotional family drama about uh, this boy that when he dreams of things, those things become real. And so he gets adopted by this family that lost a son. So when they discover this power that this boy has, they start showing him old pictures of their son. So that way when the kid dreams, he dreams of their son so they get to spend more time with him. But then naturally, of course, bad things start to happen as a result of that. And it's a story about loss and letting go. And it's a really emotional and deep story for a horror film. And I wouldn't even classify it as a horror film. But the way Flanagan crafts his stories is so well done. I was hesitant for this movie coming out later this year. But as soon as I saw his name was attached to it, I was like... Yes, please. We're getting a sequel to The Shining called Dr. Sleep with Hugh McGregor as an adult Danny. And I am so on board knowing that Mike Flanagan does it. The way he shoots his horror of draws everything out to the point that it's so uncomfortable. Of uh, Great characters, great dialogue. It's just my type of horror of quiet, uncomfortable, stays with you. He is rapidly becoming not only my favorite horror director, but just one of my favorite directors in general. And I really want to see more of his stuff, especially Ouija. As someone that has seen Origin of Evil, Josh, 
what am I missing out on so far? Um, exactly what you describe him as that, uh, the quiet, the, um, he, he is, does a good job of using his characters. Everybody feels generally speaking, like they've completed their arc by the end. Um, whether, you know, no matter what that may be, he's also fairly good with child actors. I, I don't think. Yeah. Haunting of Hill House. Half the cast is kids, and they're phenomenal. Yeah. No, yeah, because Origin of Evil is 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 if you didn't have the two two girls, that uh, if they didn't perform on the movie, it wouldn't work. But they both like carry that film. And cinematography, more than anything, is huge in horror movies, and Flanagan excels at it. I think it's either episode five or episode six. Of Haunting of Hill House. I know I always rave about that, but that's something a lot of people have been checking out on Netflix. Um, the first 50 minutes of the episode, so almost 90% of the episode, the first 50 minutes, there's only five cuts. Jeez. Yeah, I counted and I was like, holy crap, has this shot been going on? The opening shot is like 17 or 18 minutes long of just dialogue and things showing up in the background and then disappearing in the background all in the same shot and it's incredible it's one of those he's one of those few directors that i'm left scratching my head as to how did you do that yeah i just i want to see more from this guy he's more or less just starting to really get on the rise in the world of movies and in horror and i can't wait to see what else he's got coming in the years to come. Well, what do you guys think? What are some of your all-time favorite directors and movies that they've done? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you listen to us on, whether that's Google Podcasts, iTunes, or now Spotify. And as always, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.